like to welcome everybody this morning. We uh, appreciate our children singing this morning. And, uh, just appreciate another day the Lord's blessed us with. And we're just looking forward to having a great day in the Lord. And uh, we're excited to be here this morning. Excited for uh, hoping for the, to see what the Lord's going to do for us this morning. And, uh, I got a scripture. I'm uh, been on my mind a little bit. Um, Romans 8 and 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And uh, you know, we uh, have troubles and trials in this life, and uh, you know, it's, it says a uh, man's few days in full of trouble. But uh, if you if you have what I have, um, that's that's not going to amount to nothing someday when uh, we're able to go to heaven. Uh, we can't even we can't even comprehend what's in heaven for us, and uh, I'm excited about that. And uh, I pray if you don't have that this morning, you will not leave today before you have it. But uh, I'm asked Brother Sean Hendrickson just misses Sunday school. We're going to be in Zechariah, ninth chapter, this morning. That's where our lesson's at, so we'll, we may move around a little bit. We've got a few other scriptures that we'll grab, maybe mention, if you want to have your Bibles handy. So, uh, Zechariah, continuing in the line that we've been in, is a, is a book of prophecy, okay? And so Zechariah is writing, and he had visions. I think he had actually maybe eight visions specifically that are listed in his writings. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, who we had recently, had visions, impressions from God, and they wrote down these things that God told them, things that are going to come to pass in the future. And some of these certainly have natural, physical 
implications of things that happened to the nation of Israel. But the bigger picture is the spiritual prophecy that was being that became fulfilled in Christ. All right. So let me ask this question. Why is it important or is it important? I think it is. So why is it important for us to go back and look at these prophecies? And this is stuff that was written, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. The book of Zechariah was written in about 520 B.C. Right? So that's before Christ. So 500 years and we've now had 20, so it's 20, say 2600 years ago. Why is it important for us to go back and look at that? So the law, which was the first covenant that we had with God as humanity, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And Christ said, I didn't come to abolish the law or to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And then we get a second covenant, which is mentioned in this lesson. A second covenant that's the grace covenant that, that covers us moving forward. And that grace covenant is so powerful in Christ that it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Okay. So just like that law was a schoolmaster, and what do I mean by that? Well, it was the benchmark. If we don't have a benchmark to know how high we have to jump, if you're talking about a, just jumping physically, then we don't know how high we need to jump. Okay? The law was what showed us each that we failed and didn't achieve what the law required. If we didn't have a benchmark, then how would we know? So God let us all know. So this prophecy works much in the same way. It's telling us, and if you don't think that the apostles knew about this. In all four Gospels, they write about right here where we're reading in Zechariah. They knew it. They read it. They memorized it. It was an encouragement to them. And it is still an encouragement to us if we're looking at it right. So... That's why it's important to go back and look at those prophecies. How do we know Christ is the Messiah if we didn't have something previously telling us what the Messiah was supposed to look like? And when you look back at these writings and go, oh my goodness, yeah, he fulfilled that one too. Things that were written hundreds of years before he was born. All right, So this would have been 520... BC. So Zechariah, let's talk about him for just a minute. Uh, he was contemporaneous with Haggai or Haggai. So the two of those guys lived at the exact same time and wrote their their letters at the at the same time. And certainly they were meant to be encouragement to Israel. So what's going on with Israel right now? Well, 586 BC, they're taken captive by the Babylonians and they're carried off to Babylon. And we know for approximately 70 years, that's where they're at. Now, this 
book was written right in the time when Cyrus had told the children of Israel, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild your temple. All right. So there's some good things going on. And, and then Haggai, he encourages them. And Zechariah writes some really encouraging things. And certainly some of this, again, applies to that. And now he's looking forward and telling us what's going to what's happen down the road. Uh, and man, this is just beautiful. Uh, and I hope the Lord will let me line it up. So. Zechariah 9 and 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. So he's... This is written in poetic form. Now, the, the poetry doesn't come through once it's translated, but he's saying the same thing twice here. It'd be like if I said, have a good day, you know, enjoy yourself. Uh, I mean, it's to the same audience. It's being said twice. He's saying rejoice, be happy, shout. There's something good that I'm getting ready to tell you about right here. And so he's talking to Israel. He's talking to the nation of Israel, but we know from Paul's writing that a Jew is a Jew inwardly and not one outwardly when we're dealing with the kingdom. And so this is to all of us. So rejoice, shout, thy king cometh unto thee. Now here's a people that have been in bondage down in Babylon, and the king there has said some of them can go back and rebuild their temple, their, their temple, an important place where that they needed to go and pray and worship according under the law at that time was just completely decimated. It was just rocks and a big old pile of rubble. So Cyrus told them that they could go back and rebuild their temple. But this ain't talking about Cyrus. Listen to this description. He is just and having salvation. Lowly. All right? So this is beautiful because Zechariah is telling them the king's coming and he's just and he has salvation. Even in the time of Jesus, a lot of those folks were still thinking natural king. Natural kingdom, natural salvation, riding on a big old stallion, coming in with a big army, and he's going to, we're going to repay all of our enemies. All right? Be easy to feel that way. But then listen to what Zechariah says here. Lowly. Huh? Our king's coming and he's got salvation, but he, he's lowly, humble? And riding upon an ass. Well, that's what the common people ride on. Why in the world's he coming on that for? And upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Huh, our king, he isn't going to be riding on a big old stallion or coming in a chariot? What kind of king is this? So I told you that all four of the Gospels recite this in some form in their in their their gospel. So let's look over at Matthew. Matthew 21. And we're going to read quite a few verses here because this is I just 
love it so much. We're going to start at verse 11. And the multitude said, this is Jesus. The, let me see, did I get that? Oh, no, I'm sorry. We're going to start in verse 1. That was the last verse I wanted to read. I, was, I thought, huh, that sounds like the end. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage in the Mount of Olives, they sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto him, I'm sorry, there sent Jesus to disciples. So this is Jesus saying, Go unto the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto ye, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying... So now Matthew is, is going to go back and say, this was back in Zechariah. This is why this all happened. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and the colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. And then if you go on down, it tells about him riding in and... Let me see, verse 9. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So this actually happened. So Zechariah predicts it's going to happen. And then 500 years later, when Christ is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, not as a physical conquering king, but as our Messiah, our Redeemer, our sacrifice, this happened. So why an ass and the foal? What's the representation there? Well, I already told you that Christ fulfilled the law. So he grabbed, if you want to look at it, he grabbed that with one hand and, and fulfilled it. And then he was able, because of who he was, man and God, to grab grace and bring both of those together for us. So the ass is representation of the law. He fulfilled it. He didn't eliminate it. He fulfilled it to a jot and a tittle. Every single part of the law that was required, Christ fulfilled it. So that's, that's the ass. He's able to ride that. He's able to do that. Now, if you read this, it's not real clear, and, I, and I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but he also roll, rode on this foal. So what's the representation there? That's grace. Nobody else had ever even been able to attempt that, but he was able to fulfill them both and bring them both to us. So he rides in, and this is so neat. He's not on a big stallion. You know, if I was designing this, I would have had him come riding in on some big, beautiful horse, you know, feet stomping big and high. Uh-uh. Not a natural conquering. It's a spiritual kingdom. And that's the representation here. So he was able to do this, and he was able to do this just as one of us. He was 100% man. He had all the problems that we have. And he was 100% God. He was able to do all these things. So does anybody have any comments on, uh, on the first verse here, verse 9? 
tell you this, I don't, uh, I don't have, have it all, but if you want to do some reading and some interesting digging later, go back to Kings chapter 13. And there is a story laid out there about a young prophet who was riding an ass that got, got killed by a lion. And it all ties together with this. And I don't have every bit of that all tied out and lined out, so I'm not going to try to get into it. But if you want to do some really neat study, study that, because it all ties together right here. It's all representative of the same stuff. Verse 10. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. So what are these two places? Well, Ephraim... Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And Ephraim was one of the ten northern tribes, part of that northern kingdom. And Jerusalem was two tribes and was the southern kingdom. And so Ephraim became representative of the entire northern kingdom. And so that's what it's talking about here. So what's, what, what they're saying is, uh, I'm going to be riding on an ass, and we're not going to have war chariots in any part of Israel. It's all going to be united when this is happens. And there isn't going to be a physical battle taking place here. No chariots and no horses. Let's read on. And the battle bow shall be cut off. So he says your king's coming with salvation. But now he's making it extra clear that it's not physical, it's spiritual. And it's going to unite all of Israel. Israel won't be two different perspectives. So when we come together as a church, you know, we've got, if there's 300 or 400 people here, we've probably got three or 400 different things on our mind and what's going on at work and our family and, and this thing. And, but when we come together and the spirit moves and we can get where we're supposed to be with the church, one purpose at that point. And that's what he's saying here. Israel is going to be united under this Savior. Not going to be two or three different, you know, agendas and, and different kings, one king. And I love this. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. So that peace, there's a peace. When, and now this salvation, and I, I hope you've got this, it's our salvation. It, it's, it's the same thing. Now there's a natural side to this, but there, what he's talking about here, this salvation, this is when Jesus saves us. And there's peace that goes with that. There's a peace beyond all understanding when he speaks that to us. And you know, while it's not this natural man that gets saved, it's the soul down inside, but it covers everything. When I can get this man where I'm supposed to have him, it covers everything. And it covers every man, the entire race of humanity. This salvation is available. Like I said, he grabbed a hold of the law and he grabbed a hold of grace and he took grace from Adam and Eve all the way down to the last person. Yeah, Don's pointing at himself. He takes it all the way down to whoever that last one is. It gets all of us. 
And so this peace, peace that passes all understanding, aren't you glad for the peace of God that you can feel when the winds and the troubles of this world are stirring? Uh, Over in Jude, uh, Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. Not just faith. You can't just have faith in anything. It has to be the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So when the winds and the storms of this world are doing this, we've still got that peace right here. So, Anybody have any comments on that? Verse 11. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have set forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Boy, what a description. So why does the writer here call this thy covenant? Why does he use the term thy? Is this, is this your covenant, Neil? my covenant I'll claim it I'll claim it how's that it was a gift that king came in conquered the law brought grace and gave me this covenant so what do I have to do to get it you have to do the same thing I had to do to get it you have to believe and repent It's a gift. That's the cost. Believe and repent. That's the cost of that covenant. What a description of me when I was lost. In a pit, couldn't get out, had no water. You know, brings brings to my mind Christ at the well talking to the Samaritan woman saying, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given it to you. A drink of everlasting water. Christ is that water. But he brought anybody that wants to come out of that pit can get out of it and can have living water. So on this here in 11, where it talks about the blood covenant I'd like to turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm just going to read one verse. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So the blood that's being referred to here is the blood of Jesus being shed on the cross and That blood was shed there at the time that he was crucified, but he was as a lamb slain from the foundation. So everybody that has ever gotten salvation has got it by that same blood covenant. When he died on the cross, it went down to the end of time and it went back to the beginning of time. He covered it all. He was, God already knew it was gonna happen because he can see through time. But at the point that that happened, That blood went back. It went to the hinder sea and the former sea, and it covered all of humanity. So that's the blood covenant. 
And if it's not your blood covenant, you need to make it your blood covenant because you're not covered until it's your covenant. Verse 12. Turn ye to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. So who's the stronghold? Who's the writer wanting them to turn to here? It's, it's the same king that he's been talking about. It's Jesus. Now keep in mind, the people that are reading this probably as soon as Zechariah wrote it are down there trying to rebuild the temple and, and rebuild the wall. And I don't know exactly what time that all that was taking place in. But, I mean, that's going on while this is, is happening. So they're down there and they're exposed. And we know from reading some of that that they were, you know, they became concerned because the enemy was right out here in the field, just basically just, you know, right across the road threatening to come attack them. And so they worked with one hand and, and carried a sword in the other hand for a while. Uh, and so they didn't have a natural stronghold place of safety. They didn't have a big wall or a big castle uh, or the temple to get inside for refuge, but they had something better than that natural stronghold. They had Jesus. They can turn to that king that has salvation. That's our stronghold. So a prisoner of hope, that's somebody that's in a hopeless situation, but is still believing that they have hope. All right, And certainly, as a lost person, that described me. But that describes me sometimes even now that I've been saved. I've got hope, and I know when I die where I'm going. But sometimes the things of this world, the wars and the storms and whatever's going on, makes me feel hopeless. But I can still turn to my stronghold and have hope. How beautiful is that? Isn't that a perfect description of Jesus and what he's done for you? That's why I said it is important to go back and look at prophecy and see what the writers predicted that our Messiah was going to do. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. Boy, that's good, isn't it? Even when things aren't going great, even when things are a struggle, our God says, I'm going to give you a double portion. I'm going to bless you a double. I'm going to give you more than you, than you can even think about. I'm going to give you that much and I'm going to give you that much again. I'm going to double it. Wow. Just think that's awesome. Does anybody have any comments or questions? If you got a question, I'll let Brother Carl answer it. <laughs> yes, we do. Yep. Amen. Song that Anthony sings, 
The past is a promise. My own past, but then scripturally, the past of prophets and the saints and the folks that came before and struggled and earnestly contended for that faith that was once delivered to the saints. Anybody else? It's when the cup runs over. Yeah. Yep, I step back from God. Yep. I've never got a double portion of the devil. I step back from God. Yep. Verse 13. When I have bent Judah for me, Filled the bow with Ephraim. So what's he talking about here? Well, he's, he's describing spiritually how he is going to defend his people. So when he's saying it's not going to come from a natural strength of the people in Judah or Ephraim, but he's describing, now the people, the northern tribes especially, were, man, they were talented with a bow. And so he's using this description of a bow and arrow here to make, some, make a point. But they were very talented. But he's telling them, it's not going to come from your physical ability to be able to shoot an arrow straight with your bow and win this battle. He's saying, when I have bent Judah, spiritually I'm going to put them in the place that I want them. When I've bent them and then I've filled up with the arrows of Ephraim, I'm going to, God, I'm going to be the one that defends. I'm going to take care of you. And from a people that have been in bondage and a bunch of their people are still in bondage, think how encouraging that was naturally. But for a people that have been in bondage and we have some of our people that are still in bondage. They haven't been saved. They haven't made that blood covenant their covenant. How encouraging is this for us? He's still giving the opportunity to people to come and, and turn to that stronghold and be protected. But I, think, I just think this is beautiful the way he says this. I'm going to bend Judah and I'm going to fill the bow with the arrows of Ephraim and all of Israel is going to be together and I'm going to be their king and I'm going to protect it. That's not naturally, folks. If you haven't got that yet, that's spiritually. It's right here. And raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. So, uh, a lot of the uh, commentaries talk about that between the time that this was written and the time that Christ came, that there was actually a conflict with uh, folks from Greece naturally. But the representation, and, that, and that's fine, I, I don't doubt that, and it was probably about halfway between this and the time that Christ came. So they said that there was a battle, and the children of Israel you know, were successful in that. But the representation certainly is the church against the world or the church against Satan. 
And so that's what he's trying to, to say here. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to save them. So, verse, We jump down now to verse 16. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. So love that. You know, in all of the representations here. But we are God's people. And as I said earlier, Paul wrote, we are a Jew that is a Jew inwardly and not one outwardly. As far as I know, I don't have any Jewish blood actually running through my veins naturally. But I've got the blood of the risen lamb flowing through my soul spiritually. For they shall be as the stones of a crown. So think about that. He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver you, and you're going to actually be what decorates my crown. And that's, that's the beautiful part. You know, that's the part that's colorful. And that's the part that you try to accent, and you, and you want people to look at it. He's saying, I'm not just saving you to just to be my servants and just not be not be put up on a pedestal. I'm doing this and I'm going to highlight you. You folks that accept me and are part of me, I'm going to I'm going to make you I want people to see you and realize how special that you are and how beautiful that you are. Lifted up as an ensign upon his land. So an ensign is something like a flag that describes your nationality or what country that you're from. All right. So he's saying you're going to I'm going to make you the symbol of salvation, the symbol of spiritual Israel. When you're saved, that's what you're going to look like. I just thought that was so neat. I mean, we talk about, you know, march on Christian soldier and you know, we've got flags and I appreciate, you know, our I appreciate our flag of our country and I appreciate our Christian flag over here. Uh but that's what he's saying. I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to make you're going to people are going to recognize and realize who that you are. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful, and the new wine the maids. And so the corn and the wine is represent representative of. Uh, flourishing and being successful and again they've just come from being in bondage or that they really struggled now he's saying there's going to be plenty when this salvation comes you're not going to be hungry all right now and i know that they were looking at that naturally and a lot of them really clung to that naturally but think about that spiritually over in psalms Psalms 37 and verse 25. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. It's talking spiritually. Once God saved me, my soul has never been hungry. Now, there may have been a day or two when I was down at the park and stayed too late and missed lunch and got home or mom wasn't there and I was a little bit hungry naturally. But there's never been a day 
spiritually that I've hungered. There's plenty of corn and there's plenty of that new wine. That spirit is there. If I just get myself where I'm supposed to be, he'll fill me up. And I don't, I don't have to be hungry. So while this is a natural representation of some things that was going to happen, the prophecy towards Christ and salvation and his entrance into Jerusalem and him dying on the cross and fulfilling everything that needed to be fulfilled 500 years before he came is just beautiful to me. So does anybody have any comments or any questions before we close?